This is Let's Break Good, the podcast where good is just not good enough. I'm your host, Joe Agoda, and on today's premiere episode, we'll look at how a road trip across Africa, a happy hour in New York City, and the Soccer World Cup led to the inspirational idea of breaking good. We'll talk about the balance of perseverance and grit that it takes to bring your vision and your ideas into reality. Then later, an explanation of what we are trying to achieve on the podcast and why we need everyone breaking good in 2019 more than ever before. So let's do it. Let's get started. I want to break free. I want to break free. I'm going to take you to 2009 and a road trip completed by public bus that started in Kampala, Uganda, on the equator in East Africa, and went all the way down to Cape Town, South Africa. And I was on this road trip because I wanted to figure out how could we use the first World Cup to be hosted in Africa to turn that event into something that created a new kind of impact, a new kind of social good. At the time, I had been in the nonprofit sector, in social good work for about three years, and I had this just ongoing feeling that the way we were trying to, you know, go about solving some of the world's problems were just a little bit backwards and inefficient. I had this feeling that the way that we frame things that we had a first world and a third world, and that what we need to do was go and help the people of Africa and give them and donate to them and help them. It just wasn't resonating with me because I had studied abroad already in Africa and living in these communities. The feeling was that the folks just didn't feel helped and connected by the aid and social good projects that were being delivered in their communities. They all felt like a pull down instead of a, a pull up. It was all, oh, you're in poverty and you're facing these terrible issues and let us help you. And what the people wanted was something that was rooted in their community that was uplifting and inspired people. So that's why I pitched this Kampala to Cape Town road trip to the International Youth Foundation. Uh, I was a fellow there at the time, and they had a special uh, funding opportunity called the Shared Planet Grant being offered by Starbucks. So I pitched to them to take this road trip to find out how we could use the first World Cup in Africa to create a new type of social good project. So over about three and a half months, I went through seven different countries from Kampala to Cape Town, stopping in communities, in cities, in rural areas, all different kinds. And as I talked to the communities, and especially the young people, they all had the same thing to say. They said, Joe, if you want to do a really amazing project, what you can do is help us to watch the matches. In a lot of these areas, they didn't have constant electricity. 
They didn't have televisions. And these World Cup football stars were things that they had heard about on the radio. And maybe they had seen a little bit here and there if they were visiting a family member that did have access or could sneak into a bar and, and try to catch a glimpse of these 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 athletes, but they had never really enjoyed watching a full, you know, match. And so they said, if you can help us to watch these games, the whole community will come. And then during halftime and before the matches, you can deliver whatever kind of social good project and the people will be ready and willing to hear you and listen. So by the end of my my trip in 2009, once I made it to the end, I felt that I had a grand slam idea. And that was we were going to put inflatable screens that were almost as big as movie theater screens in these areas. We would get a generator, a projector, and a satellite dish. And we would be able to screen the games for the communities. And when they came, we would do all kinds of trainings. Uh, At the time, I had started up my own nonprofit also that was all about delivering technology and technology skills to communities in Africa. So that was the concept. And as I was flying back to the States, I was like, this is going to be really easy. This is such an amazing idea. And... I can't wait to get it started. So when I got back in late 2009, I faced the greatest recession in America's history. I don't blame them. The credit market 676 points down. It was the worst day on Wall Street since the crash of 1987. And as a nonprofit that was just starting up with very little name recognition, no one really knew the brand. Getting it funded turned out to be much, much harder than I had ever imagined. I first went back to the International Youth Foundation and Starbucks and said, here's the idea. And they said, it's a really great idea. We're really inspired by it. But the soccer matches and sporting events is not really Starbucks's brand. And it's not something that we can really fund at this time. And so I walked away and decided I would go to anyone and everyone I knew in my network to see how I could get this funded. And I must have heard the word no a few hundred times. Uh, That funding was very limited because of the recession. That, again, my nonprofit had never heard of it. It was a great idea, but no, uh, I couldn't get it funded. And this was one of the first times I almost probably broke uh, because I knew I had a great idea, but it just seemed to be super challenging to break through for the funding. So at that point, I was almost ready to give up because we were I was into 2010, early 2010 now, and the World Cup was a few months away. But just so happened I was in New York trying to pitch to a few different potential funders when a friend of mine 
uh, said, hey, you know, I, I know about your, your trip and your idea, and I'm working at UNICEF, and I think someone here might be interested in your idea. So he said, uh, there's a happy hour on Friday, and a few of us are getting together. You should come in and tell some of my colleagues about it. So I came to the happy hour on a Friday, and over some, some beers uh, in a midtown bar, I shared it. And one of the UNICEF folks said, you know, this is a pretty cool idea. Uh, why don't you give me an email on Monday, and we can talk more about it. And he gave me his business card. And I took that business card and I, I thought, what am I going to do? Because I was in New York City, but that's not where I lived. I was uh, staying with my parents in Boston at the time, and I was supposed to go home the next morning. But I knew I had to give this a shot. So I talked to my other friend who I was crashing on his couch in New York. And he had a little studio, but he still said, Joe, you know, this might be your opportunity. Don't worry about it. Stay. Um, it's okay. So I, I spent the weekend on that on his couch in his studio. And on Monday, Monday morning, first thing I sent over the email and I waited and I got no response. I gave a call to the number, but no one picked up. And I decided, you know what? I, I can't let this opportunity go. So I went down to the UNICEF headquarters jumped on the subway, got down there, uh, midtown, right by the big uh, UN headquarters, this is the UNICEF building. And I went to the gentleman at the front desk and I showed him the card and said, oh, I have a meeting with this person. And he looked at me and said, okay. And he called up and I could hear the UNICEF uh, person on the line sounding a little bit surprised, but saying, okay, send him on up. So I went up and sat in the office and I had my laptop ready. I had my PowerPoint pitch down by that point, perfected. And I, I gave the pitch with everything I had. And he, he looked up at me and said, yeah, this is really interesting. Give me a second. And he got on the phone and he rang and he said, Hey, can you come to so someone else? Said, hey, can you come on down here? I think uh, something you might want to see. So about a few minutes later, uh, a woman came in and I was introduced and I did the pitch again and uh, gave it everything I got. And I looked up and she kind of nodded and said, ah, you know, we were wondering what to do with that World Cup budget we had. So maybe we can use it for this. And she left. And I looked up at this UNICEF staff member. I said, so... Uh, what is what does that mean? And he said, okay, I have a proposition for you. If you're willing to rebrand your initiative as UNICEF's, then I'll hire you and give you $150,000 to make this project a reality. And so I probably thought about it for about half a second. I said, absolutely, let's do it. And so I had gone from that Friday happy hour in despair to Monday being offered $150,000 to do the project. And because UNICEF kind of had this hunger inside the staff, there were people really excited by the idea and they really gravitated towards it. We were able 
to implement what ended up being called World Cup in my village in four countries, in Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and Zambia. We had thousands of people come to the matches. And then during halftime and before the games, UNICEF helped create all kinds of trainings. There was youth journalism trainings. There were technology workshops. During halftime, they would have youth performances. They would play content about education and about health and about wellness. And we ran these these events in areas that I could have never imagined doing social good projects in. In Rwanda, we were on the border with Congo in an area that had recently been a conflict zone. We had armed guards around the soccer stadium where we played the matches and we had thousands of people come. Uh, and it was illuminated by an active volcano just in the distance. But I'll never forget all the young people that came were so excited, had never seen these matches before, and were inspired by it. Uh, in, in Zambia, the event ran in a refugee camp eight hours from the main city where they didn't even have any electricity. They had no cell phone signal. And actually how we ended up having to uh, broadcast the matches there was the, at the, the refugee uh, camp headquarters was the only place where they had electricity, a satellite dish. And what we did was we would record the match and then we would take it out to the community and play it the next day. And we ended up playing the same match multiple times around the refugee camp recorded. Um, and each time having everyone and anyone who was there come come to watch. And so this, this project was really the beginning of me breaking good. And I came back to UNICEF headquarters in New York after the project. And they said... You know, Joe, we don't see projects like this be successful all the time. So why don't you stay here? We'll hire you and you can do more work like this. And so I think that was probably the moment I said, it's time to break good. I can do this. I can do it here. And I can do projects like World Cup in my village all the time and really reach that that internal goal I had to change the way that, you know, social good and development projects were, were delivered with a total new, total new perspective um, that flipped the whole first and third world on its head. And what I found was that it was going to be a lot harder than I could have ever imagined. The status quo in this organization was strong. And I've come to learn that the status quo for everyone in many organizations is strong and that when people around you aren't ready to break good and feel that, hey, how we, this is how we do things and, and good is, is, is just fine, good is good enough, that trying to bring forward this, this you know, what's at the heart of breaking good is incredibly difficult, incredibly demoralizing. And so over four years I spent at UNICEF, I did end up implementing a number of really cool, innovative projects, which I will get to in later episodes. But 
the bureaucracy broke me. And I had tried to break it so many times that I had worn out my welcome. So even though I had a few successful projects, I did not have you know, many friends inside the organization. And certainly there were some amazing people that probably hadn't proclaimed, you know, really were pro breaking good and they, you know, were on board with what I was trying to do, but they had, you know, some of them have kids and they wanted to hold on to their job and they could see the cost of breaking good. So while they were willing to support me in small ways, as a whole, I was unable to, to achieve that. Um, actually, at UNICEF, there have been a few that I believe have accomplished it, and maybe in the future we'll get to talk to them. But myself, after four years, I was burnt out, and the bureaucracy was ready to spit me out. And at that point, I wasn't ready to give up on this idea of good not being good enough, that we needed to, to break good, that we needed to change the old mindset of charity and philanthropy and really turn it on its head. I wasn't ready to give up on it. And so I started to build a network because I soon found out there were people in companies, in government and other nonprofit and humanitarian organizations that also we're trying to bring forward and make possible this, this idea of we can do better. We don't need to just hang our hat on something that, that is good and we told a nice story and it feels good and we feel good, that that wasn't enough and that they needed to take their social good efforts to the next level. They needed to break good and achieve something great. And... At that point, I had started to pick up some additional work. I, I ended up getting to join up with Ashoka, which is the world's largest network of social entrepreneurs, and do some very interesting work with them. Uh, I was collaborating on projects with people in the private sector, um, doing some really exciting work that was changing the way that corporate foundations, corporate philanthropy, corporate social responsibility, you know, could create positive social impact. Trying to break down the walls between the mainline business and the social good that a company did and, and really see, well, maybe by bringing purpose and profit together, we could, you know, the company could do something that was good for the employees, good for the company, and good for society. So over the about five years after I left UNICEF, I was building my network, working with organizations. Uh, I ended up joining this really cool, small technology and design nonprofit based out of Silicon Valley and getting to assist those inside large multilateral organizations and other humanitarian organizations like the World Food Program and the Center for Disease Control and seeing how we could help them use technology to break good. And so I really felt that I had learned a lot. I knew what it took to break good and I knew that there was this hunger and interest by so many people to say, well, Joe, how can I 
break good. And about, I would say, a year and a half ago was when I started to think about doing this podcast and launching this Let's Break Good uh, movement. And I think what started to push me towards really deciding I would take the leap was the news cycle. This is CNN Breaking News. Uh, breaking news became something in my almost daily life that was a pull pull down. It was negative. Uh, you know, the new presidential administration um, continuously seemed to be bringing the most negative breaking news cycles out. There were disasters seemed to be happening more and more often. Hurricanes and other natural disasters hitting and then school shootings and, and senseless violence and shootings all across the U S and I wanted to think about how I could use this idea of, of breaking good to balance the breaking news cycle that we had in the country. So that started really building my momentum and energy and I still had the, the, the feeling that my initial kind of vision that put me on the road on that public bus trip from Kampala to Cape Town, that the status quo in the social good industry was still there, that the dynamics of first world, third world, uh, that we could do good and you know, we, if, as long as we tried our best, um, it was good enough. I felt like I still saw many people, what I say, were doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. They meant well, but they just weren't delivering the social good that was needed in these communities. And by that point, I had worked on projects in not only Africa, but Southeast Asia, in Latin America, and here at home in the U.S., and I saw that common need to break good in all these places, in all these organizations that I've been working with. And finally, the motivator to, to really get this going was the opportunity I saw for businesses to break good. Uh, there was this tax cut that was giving corporations all this money, extra money, and what would they do with it? And again, I had talked to, to people, who my, my network, my friends who were working in the private sector, and they all felt this desire to bring more meaning into their day-to-day, -day, more purpose. And they saw the resources and the reach and the capabilities of their companies. And they wanted to know, Joe, how can I use this that I have here? I don't know where to start, but I know I want to break good here. I want to help my company break good. And how can we do it? And so these kind of three elements, the breaking news cycle, the wanting to balance that, the feeling that my job 
to change the status quo in the the sector that I worked in, and the opportunity for business to break good pushed me to this point to launch the podcast. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks and months ahead to hearing from, from you all, from the listeners, from getting these stories out there and helping people all around the world break good. It's time. It's time to break good. But life still goes on. I can't get used to living without, living without, living without you by my side.